On the afternoon of 4th of July weekend in 1991, Douglas Wagg Jr. rode off on his bike in hopes of joining in on some of the festivities. But Doug never made it home, and the next time he was seen was as he lay across a stretch of railroad tracks under the dim headlamp beam of an oncoming train. In this season of Counterclock, investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra is turning back the clock to dive into exactly how Doug died and how he ended up on the tracks so far from his home. But while Delia's investigation for this season of Counterclock started as a look into one man's suspicious death, what she uncovered is so much more. A string of crimes, a growing number of mysterious deaths, and cases so baffling that make this season of Counterclock the most intense investigation yet. Join the Crime Junkie fan club to binge all episodes of Counterclock Season 6 now, or listen to new episodes weekly wherever you listen to podcasts. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. It can happen to anybody. So we've been working on this issue for 10 years, and I've never met anyone that said they knew it would happen to them. Everyone we know from the big mass shootings that are well-publicized to people like us that were shot in a, in a single incident, no one ever says, yeah, we knew it was going to happen. Everyone thinks it won't happen to them everywhere. But it does. Gun violence can happen anywhere and everywhere. Judy Richardson knows too well that gun violence can happen to anyone. And she also knows what it can take from a family. Judy has been a voice for victims of violent crimes and an advocate for closing the loophole that put a firearm into the hands of her daughter's killer. In this two-part series, you'll get to know Darian Richardson through the memories of her mother. You'll hear about the happy, determined, kind, friend-to-all woman whose life was cut short, and the frustrating dead-end details of her case that have left her family without answers for over a decade. I'm Kylie Lowe, and this is part one of Darian Richardson's story, told by her mother Judy Richardson on Dark Down East. She was our first, she was our first baby. She was, she was energetic. She was uh, busy. She was always smiling, had a, she was very kind. She just, she was a really good kid. She was a really good, fun baby and little girl. She basically stayed that way. She was, very social, like a little too social sometimes. I would worry about her, you know, she was really cute and like, hi to everybody. And 
those things you worry about as a mother. <laughs> but, you know, she had a lot of friends and she just, she just constantly wanted to go do, you know, she was, she was a bundle of energy. I sat with Judy Richardson at her kitchen table in South Portland, at the same home she and her husband Wayne have lived for over 30 years. It was Darian's childhood home, and the evidence of her presence there is still obvious. I think just about every shelf in the house had a picture of Darian and her sister Serena or the whole family together. I could just tell that this was a home with lots of love between its four walls. Love and memories. Her and her sister, because they were only 16 months apart, so they would get into mischief a little bit. One of the funny stories, they were just a little, I don't even know. She couldn't, she must have been five and her sister was four and they were in the room playing and we had a playroom and she came down and I'm like, mom, look what we did. And she, she had put markers all over Serena's back and behind. <laughs> That always embarrassed. I'm like, what is this? What did you even think about that? And it's like, well, they thought it was funny. Done little things like that, you know, cutting their hair. Play scissors. I think every little girl does that, right? Even in her childhood, Darian was determined to do her best at everything she tried. From dancing to athletics, academics and friendships, Darian put her whole heart into it all. Got her into dance, which she fell in love with. So she did ballet from, I think, first grade right up through her. Then she wanted to do on point, you know, so she stuck with it until she was in point shoes. She really liked that. And then in, in middle school, she, she switched to um, athletics. You know, she became, and I wasn't an athletic mom. I wasn't a sports person. And she came home from school. I joined the field hockey team, <laughs> And I'm like, uh, I don't know anything about field hockey. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what do I do? Stand and ask the other moms, so what's this game? But yeah, she's, that's how she was. She was just, she wanted to be involved in everything. Darian set big goals for herself, and she went for them with impressive dedication. Going to college was one of her biggest goals. She wanted to go to Bowdoin because she was she was a swimmer. She, swimming was her real, her best sport. Like she swam from middle through high school, and she they even she was on a team that broke the record. Still hold actually over there in the South Portland uh, Rec Center pool. So I, I think that's why. But she when they used to swim at Bowdoin the meets, she's like, I want to go to this school. So she that's not really probably something we can afford <laughs> but she really made a goal of it she's like she wanted to go and I only found out later actually when she did go that she had like been writing them and getting information and her everything in high school was about going being able to go to college like she participated in sports she really focused on studying she had to have perfect attendance you know this was all her it wasn't coming from like us but and she, she had a job and she volunteered because she felt those were all the things that would help her. And I, you know, she was our first child, so we really didn't know about like colleges. And I, I, she only applied to that one college. And people were like, she only applied to one college? Well, what are you gonna do if she doesn't get in? I'm like, I didn't, what are you supposed to, I didn't know you were supposed to apply to like eight colleges. 
But she applied for early early admission, and she was accepted. She loved it. She enjoyed Bowdoin a lot. She made a lot of lifelong friends there. Darian made friends easily, and she always saw the best in people. She was like a magnet. People were drawn to her, and that was something from, like, little. You know, she had this bright, big smile, and she had that always. And she would just smile, and she had this, like, people just would... You know, come to her and everyone if you everyone was her best friend if you talk to her friends everyone will say that she was my best friend <laughs> she studied sociology and education at Bowdoin College and Darian knew she wanted to be a teacher and work with kids that dream came true after she graduated in 2006 and landed a job at Waynefleet a private school in Portland's West End She worked there a full year, but budget cuts ultimately eliminated her position, and so Darian went to work in the Portland public school system, where Judy also worked. The experience was different, though. At the time, it was a day treatment center, and what Darian really wanted to do was teach elementary school students. She needed to go back to school herself for that certification. As she explored the programs at the University of New England, Darian was recruited to work for Aetna Insurance. And it was a great in-between until she could get back to teaching. She was recruited by some friends. They recruited her to Aetna. So she left the schools in 2008 and had been working most of 2009. Everything was going good. She had an apartment. She had a duplex on Radcliffe Street. It was huge. It was actually bigger than our house, had with three bedrooms upstairs and a huge living room, dining room. You know, it's just huge. And the landlord lives next door, which, and see, that was another thing. I was really felt very safe. I'm like, wow, she's living with the landlords next door. And we, we knew her roommates, of course, and she was happy and things were going well for her. That summer of 2009, Darian started dating a guy by the name of Corey Gerard. That summer, she had gone uh, with a bunch of friends on, on a canoe or a raft down the Saco River, which everyone does in Maine, right? And, and, um, and that's where, so friends, and then they met mutual friends, that's where she met Corey. End of summer, beginning of fall of 2009, she met Corey, who was, um, told her he was a, student at St. John's in New York City. And he, more than that, he told her she, he was in the ROTC program. And so he was younger than her. We didn't really know them, but she, her friends knew him. Everyone said, like, he's, a, you know, he's an okay guy. They started seeing each other, and even though, so he was always in New York at college, but he, was coming, he started coming home a lot. And she was actually a little bit flattered by that, I think. You know, like, this guy's driving back to see me on the weekend. And I was saying, don't you think it's weird that if he's in ROTC, he can come home so much? But, you know, she wasn't that kind of, she didn't, she wasn't, she didn't dwell on things. It wasn't anything serious to her. It was like, oh, you know, whatever. He's got a plan. He's doing his thing. And she was happy with her friends and her roommates. It was Darian's nature to see the good in people to take them on their word and give them grace, even when others may not be quick to do the same. She just only saw the good, and it, you know, she would 
Ashley should say, well, you're just too critical. It's like, because be, I'm always thinking, well, what's this? Well, just, you know, she just took people for their face value. Darian was with Corey Gerard on the night of January 8th and the early morning hours of January 9th, 2010, when her life and the lives of the entire Richardson family changed forever. It was over Christmas break. So Corey was supposedly home, and he was over at her house staying there because he, he was home school break, which we were at that point starting to question. And it was a work night. It was a Thursday night. So she had to go to work in the morning. She went home, I guess, at like 9 or probably after dinner. And then they went to bed. Darian's apartment was on Ratcliffe Street in the Deering Highlands area in Portland, where stately homes built in the early 1900s have either evolved into multi-unit apartment buildings while still maintaining their historic charm, or have remained single-family dwellings for Portland's upper-middle-class families. It's off the bustling Portland Peninsula, but still tightly packed and densely populated. By Portland's definition, Ratcliffe Street and the Deering neighborhoods are a safe place to live. Though really, there are very few areas a Portland resident might deem as unsafe. Undesirable, maybe. But generally, it's a quote-unquote safe, low-crime seaside city. When people picture vacation land, rarely does that mental image include gun violence and shootings. But that night in January 2010 proved that it can happen anywhere, even in the safest neighborhoods. 1.30 in the morning, she felt like something, someone was there, like she could sense the bedroom. Her bed was by the, by the, close to the door. And she felt someone there and she kind of sat up and she saw a figure and then she saw like, she saw two figures and she saw someone like, she said they were feeling the wall for like a light switch and there wasn't one because it was an old house that you go and have to go in and pull the string so the light didn't come on and what she had said to me was she thought she felt like they were leaving she thought once she goes they kind of backed out and I sat up like this and then she said it felt like one of the guys pushed the other guy in and then she put her hand up like that she heard just like this noise and she said this light and she's like Mom, they shot me you know and her hammer like that and it blew off her thumb and then so she rolled off the bed and then another bullet hit her on the right leg entering by her knee and it traveled up and, and hit her and uh, lodged in her hip Corey was rolled off the bed too and apparently but he he didn't get shot so they just opened fire and no one really saw him. The two other roommates, of course, woke up when they heard the running, but no one saw anything. If there's anything better than getting a few of your favorite things from McDonald's, it's getting a few of your favorite things from McDonald's for less in the McDonald's app. Mm. Delicious. Order in the McDonald's app today. Right now, only in the app. Enjoy a breakfast sandwich for just $1, like a sausage McMuffin with egg. Offer valid one time per day from 429 to 512.24 at participating McDonald's. Must opt into rewards. 
Ashley's Memorial Day mattress sale is going on now. Save big on select adjustable mattress sets, up to $1,200 on Beautyrest Black, up to $800 on Purple, and up to $500 on Tempur-Pedic. Plus, get 72-month special financing with select in-store mattress purchases made with your Ashley Advantage Synchrony credit card between May 14th and June 3rd. Visit your local Ashley store or ashley.com for better sleep and savings. Only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. No minimum purchase required. See store for details. The police came. The ambulance came. She was taken to main med and was immediately put in surgery. And they were trying to repair that. She had like a hole in her, in her whole thumb. So the doctor was, he said it was like shredded spaghetti, he told her. And she had this big apparatus, so they were going to probably have to graft. That was a goal, future goal, would probably graft that piece back in there through some other bone. But in the meantime, the poor thing had this big metal apparatus going through her. That was just one of the injuries. The other injury was on in her in her hip, and they and they were leaving it, and they but she was kept bleeding out. So she was in ICU for, I think, three days, and then they moved her to upstairs, and she bled out even more. She ended up; they had to give her lots of blood, and then they. I guess that was a bad decision. They said they they put her up there, and then they they just. They left her. The nurse left her, and her sister was with her because we were in the hospital all the time. And her sister, she had said she had to go to the bathroom. I'm like, but she hadn't gotten up yet. You know, she had been in down in ICU, and she her sister took her to the bathroom, and she just collapsed on the, and bled out. We thought we were going to lose her then. We huddled in as a family. I guess I just stopped working. I just they just said take. Take your time. People I worked with knew Darian. She worked there, so everyone was just distraught about what happened. But they were, every night we'd had supper together there, and we just, you know, we'd watch comedies. We were watching The Office. <laughs> we were, you know, just trying to make her safe. Our goal was we just wanted to get her healthy. We didn't want to, you know, we, of course you have to deal with the investigation, and the police were up there, and... You know, but she was also, she was physically in a lot of pain in, in her hand and, and her leg. And she also was, she was traumatized. She was, tra- she, like, I stayed with her every night. She was traumatized of the dark. She was traumatized if the door was open or if it closed or if a loud noise. She was, she was afraid that she was going to bleed out. And, like, I, she would literally say, Mom, will you keep watching my leg all night so I would stay up all night looking just to appease her because I just wanted to make her feel safe and so yeah Darian's recovery was physically and emotionally painful so then they moved her to what was they call a critical care unit where you get more. Someone's right outside your room watching. And she was there for three weeks. Um, then they, they put her on bed rest so she couldn't get up anymore. And that was the problem. So she had this whole, the doctors couldn't figure out 
why she kept bleeding out. They said there's so many arteries in your legs. They can't even see them on, like, she had MRIs and CAT scans, and they weren't sure, and, and the doctors were disagreeing upon, like, if we go in and just do surgery, that could risk, that could be a big risk and she could die, or if we, you know, we just wait and see. It was just, it was crazy so what they did was they packed the wound and just waited till it healed and so then she stopped bleeding out and and then she had to have physical therapy and walk again but that didn't really solve the problem we found out later meanwhile investigators tried to make sense of the home invasion and shooting who could be responsible and why early on it appeared darian wasn't the intended target and so police took a closer look at her boyfriend, Corey. The investigation compounded Darian's trauma, but just as she did with everything else in her life, Darian gave it her best effort. Corey wasn't around because his parents had him go to his sister's, which was in Boston. And so he wasn't really helping or cooperating with the, with the investigation, so, but we were just, we were we weren't as worried about the investigation at the time because we just thought we'll deal with that when she's healthier, and then she can. You know, if we don't, if you, you know, we didn't want her to have any more hurt and trauma, and you know, and it was hard for the have police come in and when they're not, yeah, they're not always the uh, nice. But she was doing what she could. Like she was also bedridden, so like she did, she found things on a computer that. Like Corey had put, she turned things over to the police. We had some one of Corey's friends popped up once to visit, and then was asking questions. And she called the police and said, "You know, you should go talk to this guy." But then I think they didn't investigate it as a serious thing at the time. It was just like, oh, "Okay, yeah, this this shooting, everyone's all right." They thought it wasn't a priority, I guess, and it didn't seem to be. Doctors decided to leave the bullet in her hip. There would be more surgeries, more physical therapy, more steps to her recovery. But as soon as she could walk, Darian was cleared to go home. I was very concerned about that bullet being in her, you know, then. But they said, oh, she'll be fine. She was young, she was healthy, you know, just walk and physical therapy. And, but this was February, you know, this was, so she got out at the end, at end of January. It was very end of January. So she came home. We're here. We're, like, trying to walk around the neighborhood in February. And it's just freezing. <laughs> Poor girl. But she was doing the right thing. She was doing all the right things. She, was, she went and got... She was going to therapy, behavior health, and she was seeing um, a psychiatrist for meds, for, like, for an anxiety. And, but it was tough. Uh, she... You know, one night she was crying in her room, and I could hear her because. <laughs> hear her, so I went and got bed with her. And you know, I'm like, she probably did a lot of that. She just, and that's what she was saying. She goes, "I just don't, I don't know. What people are gonna think of me." <laughs> nobody's gonna think of you and she was I didn't know like she didn't know this part of Corey and she was like why was I so foolish that I you know I'm like you're not the first woman 
to be fooled by a man by any means, you know, and it happens all all the time, you know, a lot. (laughs) So, yeah, people don't, you don't see what people don't want you to see. And she's not that kind of person, so she, you know, I, I guess didn't, didn't think someone would be that way to her, you know. And so I, I, that always got me. But it was a hard, hard thing. She was embarrassed. She was worried about work. You know, here she was. Actually, right in the, when she was in the ICU, the first moment I saw her, she goes, you got to call work. Tell them I'm not coming in. I'm like, oh. I was like, don't, I will, but let's not even worry about it. But people by that time had seen it on the news. It was already on the news. Even in the most challenging moments, Darian's light shone through. I was in awe of her about that. I think she was, because she did stay positive, and she's just like, I, I remember one night, I think she was home, we were talking about, about Corey, and I said, because she, you know, and there's something she didn't know about him, and she didn't know, like, he, he ripped her off some money, and he did other things. And I said, we were talking, and I said, I noticed that she, I'm like, why aren't you angry about this? Like, I was angry. (laughs) And she's like, and she just looked at me, and she goes, I don't want to live my life that way. And I'm like, well, (laughs) you're right. (laughs) But, you know, I just, I couldn't, I, at that time, I couldn't see it. I was, I had so much anger that, that I just didn't understand why she was. But what, you know, but she's right. What are you going to do, right? You just have to, she just moved forward. As Darian Richardson progressed in her recovery, the investigation into the home invasion and shooting stalled. Detectives considered the scene at the Ratcliffe Street apartment. No signs of forced entry. Her roommates were never bothered or shot and nothing was stolen. However, Detective Marianne Bailey of the Portland Police told the Press-Herald in 2011 that they did uncover physical evidence of the crime inside the apartment, but she did not get into specifics. Doing so could have hampered the case. So, although he wasn't cooperating, investigators were learning more and more about Darian's boyfriend, Corey Girard. He was involved with illegal trafficking of OxyContin, a prescription narcotic pain reliever. With that, they determined that the shooting was likely drug-related. But Portland police were clear, Darian herself was not involved. But that seemed to be the extent of the information that the investigation revealed, at least at first. Judy felt as if the case wasn't investigated as seriously as it should have been at the time. It was a home invasion and shooting, but everyone survived. On the last weekend of February 2010, almost two months after that night on Ratcliffe Street, that would no longer be the truth. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. 
Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. The living room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant high-performance furniture from Ashley Store is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley Store's high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, comfortable, and easy to clean for more mess and less stress. Shop the life-resistant high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. By the end of February 2010, Darian was feeling well enough to travel, and doctors gave her the thumbs up to fly. She said that she wanted to get over a little getaway. It was supposed to be just like a long weekend. And they were going to fly out of Boston, and I took them to the bus. And they, I thought, it, we all thought it was going to be a good idea because it was freezing here. She had had this traumatic experience. She'd been in the hospital for a month. And so we just thought it would be a good thing for her to be out in the sun and maybe go down, lay at the pool, go to the beach. And they did do that. Just have warmth, sunshine. And we thought it would be good for her her mental health, too, you know, and just to feel court sort of normal <laughs> and being, a, you know, so it, it wasn't it wasn't that big of a deal, we thought. But I know the new press made a lot about that, like flying, but she, the doctor said it would be fine. It wasn't a long flight. It was from Boston to Miami was just a couple hours. And I talked to her a lot. So... We thought, well, it's not going to be that. We'll be fine. And they were going to come back. Shonda was going to come back with her. And then, yeah, we got the call that she collapsed there. So we got a call from the hospital. So they took they took her to the hospital, and they wouldn't tell Shonda anything because she's not family. And the guy kept calling us. And it was, again, it was like a Saturday night, but it was in the morning. Like one in the morning or something like that. Phone's ringing. And I answered the phone, and I, the, he just kept saying, your daughter's in the hospital, you have to get here. And he wouldn't give us information on the phone. And so I'm like, I just I got weighing up, and um, I got Serena up, and I'm like, we have to leave. And so I'm packing a, a bag, and Wayne's calling airlines to get us a flight there. And, you know, we're like, we just, you know, and, you know I just we kept telling ourselves we get there, and she's just going to, you know, be in the hospital again and and everything and the, the doctor kept calling back and but he wouldn't give me information and I'm like do you know I'm in Maine <laughs> and he's like and then so we had we had flights out and then we uh, look out the window getting ready to go and there's cops coming at the door and we knew the cop so they had told, they sent, I guess when people die, they send it to the town that they live in and they sent a fax or whatever to them and they came over to tell us in person. It's awful. I just, I, I just collapsed. And you know, I, I kicked myself, I should have gone down there to help Shonda to come back, but I, I just, I couldn't. I just I went to bed. I just was done. 
awful. It was, it was it's a physical pain. Judy spoke with the medical examiner in Miami, Florida. They spent hours on the phone together. She knew exactly what it was. It was that whole, how they healed the outside, but her, she was still internally bleeding. I said, well, is it, you know, was it because she flew and all she was, she was, it would have happened anywhere, which was shocking too. She was in so many arteries and she was, I could see where even though they stopped outside, it was just like the circling and it caused, it caused a, a pulmonary embolism and it was very, very sudden. She probably didn't feel anything and all that, you know, she was, she was fine one moment and next not. And that's what, I mean, I could, I, she was, strong just said that, yeah, she was fine. And then it was just like, quick. You're reeling. It was like, and it was, it was like a roller coaster, you know. We went through all this with her and we thought, we thought, we thought we were going to make her better. <laughs> we were going to love her better, you know. Darian is absolutely everywhere you look in the Richardson home. Judy handed me a framed poem that Darian wrote her as a gift one year. Her neat and curly cursive handwriting described all of her favorite things about her mother, and the words were surrounded by a collage of mother-daughter photos that she'd cut and pasted together. Judy smiled down at it as if it were the first time she had ever read the words. I try to be more like her now, like living in the moment than I, I was never like that living in the moment person like she is or to, or appreciating all the, I mean, I, as much as she was, you know, like she just really was happy all the time. Even when what happened to her, she tried, she really put on a brave face and it was remarkable to me. And, and just her, she really cared about society sociology major and and people and her friends and and she loved life and she's like she didn't want to miss a moment of it with her sudden unexpected passing darian richardson's case was no longer just a home invasion and shooting it was a homicide investigation. In the next episode of Dark Down East, with renewed focus on the shooting that ultimately ended Darian Richardson's life, investigators learned new details that felt like a step towards answers. We were unaware of it, but there was another shooting. There was a shooting when Darian was still alive on February 10th. We got called into the police and they wanted to tell us that they found out that it was connected. But the case screeched to a halt when a loophole to firearm sales created a frustrating dead end for investigators. He had said he had sold it soon after he bought it, and he didn't remember who he sold it to. He didn't do a check. He didn't, he didn't even remember what day he sold it on. So they were basically telling us they were in this big room with the chief and everyone else that we don't know, there's nowhere else to go with that. Judy shares what she and her husband, Wayne, have learned about gun violence across the state of Maine and our country, and the work they are doing to prevent further gun violence tragedies and save other families the pain they continue to walk through to this day. 
The family and friends of Darian Richardson are offering a $15,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and indictment of the person or persons responsible for her death. Anyone with information regarding Darian Richardson's murder is asked to contact the Detective Division of the Portland Police Department at 207-874-8479 or at portland-police.com. Thank you for listening to Dark Down East. Source material for this episode is listed at darkdowneast.com. Thank you, Judy, for sharing your memories and stories of Darian with me. Follow Dark Down East on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to turn on automatic downloads in the top right corner of the app. If you listen on Spotify or another app, same thing. Hitting follow is the easiest way to support this show and the cases I cover. For photos and more information on this case and others, visit darkdowneast.com and follow along on Facebook and Instagram at darkdowneast. Thank you for supporting this show and allowing me to do what I do. I'm honored to use this platform for the families and friends who have lost their loved ones. And for those who are still searching for answers in cold missing persons and murder cases, I'm not about to let those names or their stories get lost with time. I'm Kylie Lowe, and this is Dark Down East. The living room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant high-performance furniture from Ashley Store is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley Store's high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, comfortable, and easy to clean for more mess and less stress. Shop the life-resistant high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. What do a flirtatious gambling double agent in World War II, an opera singer who burned down a nunnery to kidnap her lover, and a pirate queen who walked free with all of her spoils have in common? They're all real women who were left out of your history books. You can hear these stories and more on the Womanica podcast. Check it out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen.